going on everybody episode 29 hit the lotto podcast once again my name is romo i am an almost 50 year old man who started this thing as some kind of a weird midlife quarantine crisis to uh you know just talk talk shoot the shit and uh, have some fun with my friends and and people that i respect and enjoy and so far it's been uh, 28 or 29 episodes somewhere around there of uh of tons of enjoyment and fun and i'm so glad to be doing it here again with you uh for episode 29 but this week is going to be a little bit different uh this week the uh the guy with zero production value um who just shoots from the hip writes basic uh, synopsis of what he wants to talk about and has some cool buddies on has decided to kind of branch out a bit and and bring on um what I think is a very cool guest, and uh, I'm super excited to uh, have him on the show with me this evening. And again, this is live kind of podcasting radio, so anything could go wrong. But uh, uh, hopefully, I think he's in the studio here, and, and I'm going to bring him on in uh, in just a couple minutes. But I just before we start, you know, I like to get on my my one little Romo's rant or whatever. And uh, one thing it's at uh, this time of year, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, uh, whatever holiday it is that you celebrate this time of year. And my rant is, uh, uh, it's this, it's a potato rant. And you, you guys who listen to me know when I say it's a potato, like this was the potato head thing. It's a potato. It's a totally potato. Um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Like the, the politicizing the war over, over now you can say merry christmas again jesus and the left's in charge you can't say you gotta say happy holidays you can't say i can't say merry christmas as if christmas was going away and uh um i can tell you that after maybe i don't know 20 years of being working in front of, of people facing uh business in many ways that you know what? Not one of them got offended over the last 20 plus years that I said happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. Like, and for me, happy holidays is like, 
happy holidays. There's there's New Year's coming after that. It encompasses it because and lazy me, you know, that gives me two holidays now to thank you by not let alone the other Christmas season holidays that occur. But I mean, happy holidays. People get so upset over words that are that are used by that and uh you know just that's that's my rant rant over but uh not to politicize it because honestly it's not it's not political nobody's trying to steal your shit like nobody's taking santa from you santa was basically a commercialized thing to get to the point where it's at now anyway nobody's taking that away from you relax i mean it's the the same people that are giving you know the far right wing that gets mad about this the same people that are giving those guys, you know, Santa Claus are also the ones that they think are taking away their liberties. Like, it's crazy that the, the, put the, the shit together, put two and two together. But anyway, that's my rant. It's over. Uh, I am so happy to have on the show tonight because uh, it, it is a huge topic. And when I went in to uh, listen to his um uh, his podcast after kind of getting connected with him, uh, the, the ironies that, you know, sort of his podcast, the things that they talked about and the things that this show has talked about in very, very different ways, uh, still matched up. <laughs> so, so it just goes to show, uh, that two, two guys from completely different, uh, backgrounds, completely different age groups, I think, and completely different analysis of their life, uh, put together, uh, put together a podcast like this. And when I went back and listened, I mean, it's just, uh, they're well done, well put together, not just the, the topics that we're going to talk about, but just the production value alone is, is really, really well done. And it's something that, uh, me, I would have never even thought about getting to that point, but I'm just very impressed with, with the overall, uh, flow of the podcast. I'm, I'm over impressed with the, the flow of the, the website, uh, that is going on. And you guys know me out there. I'm an e-commerce guy. So I pick up on that kind of marketing stuff, but, uh, I'm super impressed with, with all of it. And, uh, I am proud to have on Mr. Ethan Brown, who's the host and probably creator of the, the Sweaty Penguin podcast. Thank you for joining me on the show, sir. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, awesome. So, I, you know, rather than I can I can go down the, uh, you know, the sort of bio that I read in uh, in. Uh, you know, in in a few different publications about you, but I, I'd, I'd rather let you kind of take it because, um, you know, the Sweaty Penguin podcast is a show about climate change and the effects of climate change and um, how, you know, those effects are, are we have to deal with and what the changes are going to be and what's coming and what we need to do and what we can't do and what's too late sort of. And, but it's in a really sort of insightful and, and smart way. And it's not even judgy <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but that's, it's kind of what, what you do. How, how did you, how did you come about to, to think to put together, you know, a show like this? Where, where, where's your background? Where did you come, come from to, to get to this point? So I'm 22. I originally grew up in Connecticut, went to college at Boston University, and have now been living in uh, Orange, California for about six months. I started to get exposed to climate change in probably late middle school, early high school, and I was kind of terrified, but I didn't find it interesting to learn about. It wasn't fun for me. <laughs> Um, and so I think it really took some time. I took a senior elective in high school on climate change, didn't like it. At that point, I was applying to colleges for film and television, which was what I was really interested in. 
Um, but I felt like if I'm going to be a storyteller, I need a story to tell. I felt like this was a really important one. And yet I just was struggling so much to actually want to learn more about it. And so it really took, when I took a couple classes in college on the environment, which I was like, I'll just take a few, maybe I'll get a minor, but uh, take your shot. Maybe these people can explain it better. I really started to have my eyes opened. And I think what I realized is that whole time, all the news and information I was exposed to, all the science and politics and everything was just so interwoven together. I think it was really overwhelming to learn about. And I think just being so politicized made it exhausting. And in college, I was learning that, no, these are, uh, obviously we can take the science and the facts and we can learn about that. And I did. Um, but there's all these different options for solutions that can span uh, the whole political spectrum. You can do policies in all different ways. And that, I think, got me a lot more excited about it. And I also had been writing comedy for all those years. I was in charge of my high school and college satire publications. So once quarantine hit and I had some free time, all that kind of <laughs> came together uh, to create The Sweaty Penguin. That's fantastic. So where did it start? How, how long? Uh, I understand you are on the East Coast. So did it start when you were, you know, at in university or are you still I mean, 22? So you just graduated and now you are, are out. How, how did, where are you at that right now with it? Yeah. So I started uh, quarantine hit in my junior spring and that was okay. when we started April 2020. And we've been going since then. So I graduated in May and now I'm out in the real world. <laughs> and so, so, but you're still holding it down. Like you're still, uh, yeah, we, we have uh, you know, you, you have a good team. It looks like, I mean, I even see that, you know, on your website there or on your Facebook page, you, you know, you reach out to, for, for college kids to help you research and stuff. And you work a couple hours. We'll give you, we'll give you a few bucks to work a couple hours, but it's really fun. And it's going to be used on a, pretty cool podcast with some pretty cool guests, you know, like, like it's pretty cool opportunities that you give. So it sounds like you have a decent team that's working with you. Yeah. You just described exactly what our, <laughs> our <laughs> jobs are. Um, <laughs> we have eight people right now. We actually just brought in a few more, uh, even younger college students. So we're going to be up to 11 in January, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Um, but yeah, it's a really great opportunity for them. And some of them are really, uh, stepping up, they're going to be taking on some more responsibilities in the near future. And I think we've really got something cool going here. So, I mean, it, you have 30, 35, 36, 37 episodes somewhere in there now. How, how much time do you put into, you know, creating an episode, especially now you're in the real world, like you said. So are you holding down a job while you're doing this? And, how, you know, how much time do you are you putting into each episode? I think we're over 80 episodes, actually. We, uh, oh, wow, that's started, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so basically, I'm very fortunate to have team members. I could not do this myself, as I'm sure you could tell just by listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a full-time job on top of this. I'm a production assistant with uh, PBS's National Climate Initiatives, uh, or their national initiatives, Peril and Promise on Climate Change, uh, chasing the Dream on Poverty and Opportunity in America, and Exploring Hate on Hate and Extremism. So these are these multi-platform initiatives I work on. And Peril and Promise is actually a partner of the Sweaty Penguin as well. So I 
uh, work with them in that capacity too. So I am putting in a good amount of time for each episode. Basically, we interview the expert first. Uh, we okay. learn about them, we talk to them, and then we really form the episode inspired by the expert's research. So um, after we do the interview, one of my researchers will take it. They'll do a ton of work. Uh, the model we're moving to now is where I pair a researcher with one of my more uh, comedy-inclined team members to... Uh, the researcher will write a draft of the episode without jokes. The comedy person will go in, add jokes, make it make sense for any of us who are not environmental majors. And uh, they kind of have that back and forth. And then I hop on and clean it up, add my own insights and uh, record our, we have a sound editor who does the editing. Um, so that's where we're moving to. It used to be where I was working with the researcher every single week to they do an outline, then I'd write the whole monologue. And I've had way too many all-nighters, man. I'm done with that. <laughs> That's, uh, so, no, I, I, I can remember the time. You know, the, that's funny, the ironies. And I hope you don't just hang up the phone now and, and say this guy's an absolute joke. But um, my staff consists of a 12-year-old daughter that will probably come down uh, next to me in my kitchen studio and have an apple at some stage uh, and a wife who thinks I'm crazy. So we, we, we have good teams around us, man. I, I It takes a good team to put on a good show. <laughs> really does. I mean, I'm sure that's my future. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, like I, I, you'll see about, uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to my show at all, but uh, I am, with, it's all about just enjoying yourself and letting it down and, and t talking about it. So I, I, I appreciate I, I, that you, you know, we kind of got in touch and, and came on and, you know, the, again, just to get into the sort of, let's get into the thick stuff now, as far as, uh, you know, what, the environment and climate change and, and things of that nature. Um, but why, so you, I mean, really it's um, like, even what you're talking about, what you're doing in, in the, the rewards of, of positive effect of that stuff that you're doing. And it's pure, purely admirable. And this is what I, I see the rewards of, of the positive effect of that are just, second to none and, and literally world changing. Um, but the issue is to get to those rewards in those, you know, areas that we're talking about, it's, it's, it's almost at some stage, it almost feels like it's an unwinnable battle for regular folks, right? You know, for, for, you know, folks who are, our, our debate, my debate with my buddies is the plastic straw is gone and you can't drink a proper soda through a paper straw. You know, that, that's, that's our debate that we have on our level about climate change and understanding it, you know, and I, you know but like I had a, an entire show dedicated to uh, coffee and I had an entire show almost dedicated to wine because two things that I changed my life on while I was doing this, this podcast and this show, what I started during quarantine, where I was a big wine guy. I, I loved, I knew, I really enjoyed my wine. I still do. I still love my wine. I still enjoy my wine. I still have, you know, my vintages. And, you know, when I lived before I moved to Dublin, I lived in the Hamptons, not to, not to brag about nothing, but like, you know, that's, it's that kind of, I live near the vineyards and on, on the North Ward, all that stuff, whatever. I had a blast with it. It was great. And then when quarantine hit, I kind of realized that I was being a 
fucking snob. Like, and I moved to Dublin about 10 years ago, Ireland, and I kind of realized I've been a snob about it. And I got a guy down the road who sells a $9 bottle of wine, nine-year-old bottle of wine, and I buy it by the case now. It's delicious. You know, it's delicious. <laughs> and another topic that I did was about coffee because I went the opposite way on coffee. On coffee, when quarantine started, I didn't care. I, I like I had my cup of coffee that I liked. I had my coffee shop that I liked to go to because they, I enjoyed the coffee, you know, and I knew when things were strong or weak or bitter or sweet. And I, I realized I've tasted it, but I didn't give a shit. I would drink instant coffee. I didn't care. But but when quarantine it, Jesus, I became like the biggest kind of sewer of coffees in the world like over overnight i was buying oh you can't buy the mormatata you need to buy the brazilian yellow or you need the, the kenyan aa like i became this weird snob about something that i didn't give a shit about two weeks earlier like it like it kind of crazy and then you know when i when when again when we got connected you did two episodes on those things on that, uh, those very same things. And, and in a lot of ways, it was kind of life affirming to me when, when I listened to the episodes, because especially the wine one, you know, because you know what, you're going to have to deal with it, but you know, climate change is affecting us in at, at our level, you know, beneath this level of whether it's it's monetary dominance or political dominance or climate change is happening, and we there's re, there's a lot we can do, but we feel like it's a, a losing battle. When when you do and through all of your work and all the things, and again, I know that you wouldn't do it if you weren't passionate about winning this battle. But do you understand where like regular folks could feel like? Look, I, I, I'm putting out all the recyclables. Everything I do is recycled now. Every, I'm trying. I'm doing what I can do, and I'm still running uphill against the wind in the pouring down rain. Yeah, there's a lot in there, and we actually did a plastic straw episode too. So I'd love to dive <laughs> deeper into all of these. I, I think my plastic straw take is somehow a hot take, and yet possibly the most like normal bland take <laughs> um and that i think there's a very easy middle ground here um but to answer that question i think it's not about stopping climate change right climate change is happening it's happening right now we see it with hurricanes and wildfires and all that fun stuff we're talking about creating a future that is as close to what we have right now or what we like about what we have right now as possible. So what does that mean? If climate change is causing sea level rise, which we can see it has, it, not only glaciers melting, but just the thermal expansion where when the climate warms, uh, the molecules in the water separate a little bit and that pushes the whole thing up and that's gonna inundate our cities. It's gonna affect a lot of island nations. Um, but like all of our cities are on coast. So that's a big deal. So you think about, okay, how do we deal with that? Well, we can try to mitigate our carbon emissions, get that as low as we possibly can, because that will stop it from getting worse. Um, and I think that's a very important thing to do. And we can get into all the intricacies of that. Uh, you can talk about adaptation where you say, okay, maybe we put a giant seawall or jetty up maybe we think about moving ourselves a little more inland i don't that's obviously tricky to do but maybe don't buy that 
Miami beach house. It's probably not going to last you very long. Um, and then you can also talk about things that would be in the geoengineering space, whether it be actual technological things or just planting trees and preserving uh, forests and mangroves and seagrass and all that good stuff. Um, so we have all these different strategies, but none of them are going to actually just undo everything unless we got really, really good at sucking out carbon. Um, but what we can do is make the earth more livable, make it more uh, like what we're used to and make it so we're not dropping billions of dollars every single year on cleaning up hurricanes all the time. Cause that's, uh, I don't think anyone wants all of our taxes just going toward that. That kind of sucks. So just to, to but okay. So to kind of, uh, unpack that one then a little bit. So, um, you know, the, I guess the, what we, your, your, how do how does that is that mindset changing? I guess that's the question. Well, from what I see, and again, maybe it's just me being this sort of fifty year old pessimist kind of guy who also wants to be an optimist. You know, that's I, I, I you know, I tell my you know wealthy Republican friends that I only wish one day I could be a Republican. Why? Because that's me. I'd be rich enough that I don't want anybody to have any of my money to like, like that's what I want to be. I want to be convinced of the other side because I want to change. But is that when we look at it as, you know, regular citizens are, is that change? Do we see the changes? Are the, are we actually making changes at this stage or is it still, I mean, obviously things still need to happen, but, you know, I've been, is, is it at its worst? Is, is it the climate change at its worst as far as the, the growth? Are we slowing the growth of that climate change down now, right you now? Do you mean climate change itself or the like, I mean, role in fixing it? No, I mean climate change itself. Historic, because I've been hearing about, you know, we need to change climate change. We've been hearing about it and talking about it. And, you know, when I was a kid, there was no such thing as recyclables. You didn't recycle, and now there, now we are, you know. But obviously, at that stage, the damage is is kind of, you know, to the point where finally governments are breaking down, and finally businesses are breaking down and saying, you know, it's worth our our profitability to put out this extra bin and to save this because we 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 are seeing the evidence around this and this stuff is happening, and we can make a profit off of it. Has that been worked? Has that worked so far for, say, the last 30 years? Do, is there sort of, can we judge it on five years, 10 years, 30 years, 100 years? How do we judge it? And is it is it is that growth slowing since, say, I'll just say uh, the 70s? Yeah, so I think yes and no. Uh, the 70s were interesting because uh, we had a Democratic Congress, Republican presidents, Nixon and Ford, and in about a six year time period, we passed the National Environmental Policy Act, a big change to the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act, a whole bunch more. And we established the Environmental Protection Agency in a divided government, which I think kind of shocks a lot of people. That's, the, that's still the defining environmental legislation that protects our environment to this day. Um, so that, it's hard to say, like, comparing then and now, because now, obviously, climate change is a lot more on our radars, whereas in the 70s, I don't know quite how much we knew about it, even in the, like, as we've gone, people have learned about it. I don't think it was maybe messaged very well, and it's taken a while for this to kind of become on everyone's radar. 
but now it is, and it's kind of forced its way by uh, creating a lot of the storms and disasters that we're seeing today. So, so is that, it politically, has it politically become less of a political hotbed topic? Are there still, again, I, you know, I, I, from a European perspective, I, I would say things, uh, the, the, the talk is, especially from an Irish perspective, whatever, what do you want us to do? We'll do it next here in Ireland. They'll just do it, you know, but from an American perspective, politically ha- has the fact that of all the things you're talking about, which are actual fact, historical scientific fact, this is why these things are happening. But I know people, I know people who are pretty smart people that, that think that that's all just sort of cyclical and that's the way the world happens and it's not there's not any definite proof of uh, that the world is getting warmer and the and the tides are rising and all these things there are still people is it still that political or are, are like you're saying are both sides of this this political discourse coming together and saying look we gotta now how they handle it's going to be completely different of course but there there's an issue here and we have to deal with this i think there's a just fear of what the solution looks like and you may have heard the phrase like the solution can't be worse than the problem that kind of thing yeah yeah and this was part of what made it difficult for me to get into environmental issues because it was like this is so overwhelming how on earth do we even start to fix this and i think for some people it's even scarier because it sounds like you have to fix it by just pouring a ton of money at the problem um, and they are maybe inclined to do that. And that isn't necessarily the case. There are some areas where that might help, but it doesn't have to be this just entire government run. Like you, you can debate how exactly you go about that. But I think right. a lot of people just have been so scared about that, that it's easier to just kind of not engage with the problem. And that's where you might not be understanding all the science that's out there. There's stuff that we don't know about the science and there's stuff that we do know. We certainly do know the climate is warming, humans are causing it. We know that humans emit carbon dioxide. We know carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas that traps solar radiation and warms the planet. We can measure the planet warming. We we can do all of that, we know that. Um, There are questions we don't know. For example, we don't know the link between climate change and tornadoes. I was kind of frustrated because we had some really bad tornadoes in December here in the US and Mm -hmm. everyone was like sounding the alarm bells about climate change. And I was like, hold on, (laughs) we don't know that one. That uh, that's more complicated, but there's a lot that we do know. And so, um, so I think there, when I was younger in like middle school, high school, I was seeing a lot more just denial of, the issue saying that there is no climate change. Now I really don't see that very often. I do see people either attribute it to natural causes, which again is not true, but also who cares? It yeah. like still gonna be a problem even if it were. Um, and I see people more just feeling like, well, we can't, we don't have the ability to fix it without tearing everything else down. And that I don't think is true. And that I really get into each week on the podcast, how the environment and the economy are very often in line with each other. It's not this like battle between the two that I think it's often made out to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's completely what 
it was definitely made out to be. And at one time it almost kind of was that sort of, you know, questioning, but that's, but now to see that, you know, the, the accuracy of the data, obviously too, because of technology, you know, over the last, you know, well, it gets exponentially greater every year, doesn't it? That, that you're like last year, you can, you know, you can detect all this, this, and this and now, but next year they've already invented the thing that can tell you, you know, even 15 times more than that, test has has doing so the accuracy of it has has to help a little bit too in sort of determining you know especially because you know when you talk about some of the things that you you talk about in the show about how you know sort of uh you know a lot of it has to do with the crop of some sort you know uh, from from my my the ones that I kind of picked out, but, you know, because of, of the changes and, and, you know, you did the, the episode on sharks, which was great too. And, and, you know, because of these sort of changes that are occurring, you know, at some stage, even, you know, the private sector, i.e., you know, your, your winemakers and your coffee guys. And, you know, a lot of stuff that you talk about has to, has, will have these such a huge, I mean, huge, think about, you know, the, the French, you know, Beaujolais region not being able to produce the same grapes and, and at some stage in time and having to just deal with it. Like that's, that's at this stage, they're going to have to adapt. Like there, there's these, this adaptation is going to have to occur in the winemaking industry and the consumer's ultimate, you know, taste of this is going to have to adapt as well to to continue enjoying. It's still going to be there, but you're going to have to adapt as well. Like these changes are are really coming down the road with the the better accurate science that we have. And and you know, are do you think that that as a society we're we're ready for how quickly these changes are going to happen? You know, or you know, especially when you talk about again about the things that we talk about. I mean, that's you're talking about people changing complete habits, you know, and and things that they like. But I guess it's happened to us before. But you think are, are we are we are we prepared? Are we better prepared for that now than we were, you know, ten years ago? Or or are we getting better at sort of the three sort of reasons that you have for that? You know, there's three ways that we can handle this. Are we getting better at all three of those prongs? you know, to help combat, not combat, you know, I, I hate the term terminology, but what's, what's going on and, and to try to sort of slow those changes down so we can continue to have, you know, the, the lives that we are so used to clinging to historically. I think our big advantage is that we know it's happening and we, yeah. maybe we don't, I mean, you look at the graphs that scientists put together, they have these things called confidence intervals where you say, okay, in 2030, we're very, very sure where it's going to be in 2050. Maybe we're not quite as sure, but somewhere in this range. And like the graph kind of splits into two graphs where you're like inside this area. But we know generally what direction we're headed. And that's something we should take advantage of. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think we are, maybe we're not quickly enough. Um, I think that certainly just, I mean, like the Paris Agreement or don't like the Paris Agreement, I think there's big problems. But at the same time, the fact that every single country essentially was willing to sign something that acknowledged climate change is a big deal. Um, just that fact on the surface. I won't get into the politics of it. 
but <laughs> that's that's a good thing. Um, and then at this uh, last climate conference in November in Glasgow, COP twenty, the COP COP twenty six, um, there were even more pledges made in a good direction. And I think a lot of people were saying this conference was doomed from the start. I don't think it was. I think international global governance is really, really difficult, and we have episodes on that. But ultimately, there were steps that, if followed through on, would be very good. So, yeah, I think we're moving in the right direction. What's very exciting to me is that solar and wind have become just as competitive as something like natural gas or any other energy source. Um, just economically, like taking out the environment, um, which is important because I think for all of this to succeed, ultimately the environmentally conscious thing needs to be the better thing. Um, that is certainly what will motivate people. And so I think that we're getting there, certainly in the energy sector, I think we kind of are there um, almost. And then in every, like electric vehicles, wouldn't it be great if they were the better vehicle? And I think that's moving in that direction maybe. So you can go down the line and have that type of conversation, but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a slog, but we kind of explore week by week, topic by topic, like what could we be doing? What are the pros and cons of each different solution path? And um, how do we, we can't fix it completely. We have already done a bit of damage, but how can we get this under control? So bringing me to to you know the like the, you know the the summit um again and i i fully agree with you you know that you know that it happened like all the, these these things are happening and like you said you know the the countries to sign the paris agreement and look everything has problems with these agreements you know what i mean like i i, I this you know right now in 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 literally because an irish uh, peace Accords was drawn. An international peace accord was drawn in in the northern uh, in Northern Ireland. Is the reason right now that Brexit is a complete shit show? It's the reason that Bre- it's the only land border. And guess what? This really strong agreement was drawn. It's the so you know the the it's there's always going to be somebody who's you know there's something wrong with either the agreement or people, you know, the ins and outs of the agreement or whatever. There's always going to be something there, but it's a step. It's a huge step in the right direction, but who trusts the government? Like, do you, do you, but, and let's, let's be honest. I mean, you look at, you know, what happened in, and again, I, I'm an American through and through who lives in Ireland, but like, uh, if you look at what has been going on politically in in America, you know you cannot like tr- uh, tr- trusting that these nations are going to do and follow through with the things that they say they're going to do and follow through with without bending the rules, without bending the the regulations in some way, without changing, manipulating things to 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 uh, fit the narrative of what they need to fit, you know. It's begrudgingly at times that some of these nations are going to follow through with this because how can you trust the politicians to also be the environment? Are they hiring? The, are the right people in charge of this thing in, 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 um, in America or in the world and all these governments? Are the right people in charge when we talk about governments 
working to change it. And I think, again, there's where, you know, it comes down to the people, guy like me who just kind of says, you know, okay, I'll just keep doing my part. But like, come on, I just read an article that said that, that wood burning, uh, wood fired power plants in America are given emission free status because they produce these biomass pellets that are burned in Europe. And the way the regulation was written is that the, uh, it's the, it's the power generating country that gets the, 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 uh, the carbon added to it. So, so it's a, the, the, it's the, uh, in the States, these factories are technically not burning those carbon emissions that they are burning and they're, they're classified with, with, solar power and they're classified by wind power, you know, these little loopholes. And again, it happens, you know, you know, get around it, but these little loopholes will, will anybody ever actually be, you know, like, it's not good enough. Like you see a girl again, and people have their opinions of sort of the, the Thunberg and the movement and things like that. And that passionate side of it, do we need to have that passion before things actually make a difference? Will a country can it, will a country actually make a difference like that, especially in America? Americans change and the world will change. Well, carbon accounting is a mess, and that's where you need an international organization like the United Nations Environment Program to really uh, keep an eye on people, verify what they're saying. Um, that whole wood issue is a whole other beast we could get into, but um, I think that we have to get less politicized on this and we really need to be on the same page, especially in the U S if we're going to make the progress we need to make at the timescale that we need to make it. And I know that's a terrifying thing to say because I don't, I have never seen a time in my short life that things have been worse uh, in terms of political polarization. Um, But like I was saying before, if you look back to the 70s, we had a Democratic Congress, Republican presidents, and we passed all this uh, defining environmental legislation. If we were on the same page as to what's going on with climate change, even if we disagree on the solutions, we would make progress. We would debate different ideas. We'd try some stuff out. Like, we wouldn't just twiddle our thumbs on it. And... So when people are like hoping that these bills pass by like 50 votes in the VP or 52, like I want to see stuff passing with 80 votes. Yeah. Yeah. People side eye me when I say that, but I mean, that's, that's where we need to be. And that's where we should be is saying, this is a problem. We can agree that this is a problem. Let's have our debate about how to fix the problem and do something. Um, so it's tough. So that brings me to my my next point, my next uh, uh, difference. Then I guess between for me from then and now is that you know the government. Okay, well, I, we agree. You know, not that we agree. But I, I agree with you on everything. I, you're you're the. I, I want your opinion on it, and I and I don't want you to get into yourself into any trouble and back. To, you know that because. Of, but I'm good. I'm good with what you're you're telling me, and I can read between lines too. And I think it's fucking fantastic what your what your your passion is totally coming through here and i love it Ethan. so my question now is there's a huge difference between the 70s and now huge difference in that in the 70s you had walter cronkite mm-hmm. and you had 
that's it. You know what I mean? In the eighties, that changed to four guys now. And then the nineties, that changed to eh, six guys because here comes Fox and you know, here comes these other channels, news channels. And now you have streaming services and social media and all of these outside influences where that, that literally are owned by the wealthiest of the wealthy in the world, because they have figured out how to jettison directly into your brain through an app, through an, an app, or through. I mean, look, look at what you and me, what we're doing, podcasting. What the what podcast is the radio? Like this is a chance for the everyday guy to sort of get himself in and 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 just talk talk some talk and give have some fun and entertain people and we can do that now and now there's so many sources but we all know as well that that's controlled by these billionaires who are controlling those narratives and getting the information the way the information is getting dissected and getting put into people into their brains literally into their brains and they don't even know it's coming into their brains you know where's their role in all of this they have to share some of the role to sort of say, like, look, we got to, like, you know, Amazon up until literally up until this year, you buy a box off of Amazon and it's like full of stuff. It's like boxes inside boxes inside boxes. You know what I mean? And then they went to, okay, we're just going to throw a sticker on on the package and we're going to ship it out that way. And everything got broken then, you know, like they, they're, they're trying to figure it out. But, like, these guys bear – a huge responsibility in to what's being kind of put in front of people. And I, I'm a free speech sort of guy. Like, look, if you're dumb enough to, to not pay attention to this, then, you know, you're just being dumb. That's fine. But you, but it's still free speech to Jesus. Are you know what I mean? Like, is it really, are we really, you know, are there that many of us that aren't paying attention to this enough? You know, what role do the, these, the, these hugely wealthy corporations have in, trying to slow down and trying to trying to work with governments and with the people to, you know, get, make this change, you know, like, like slower to slow this down, to slow down what's going on, the effects. Yeah. Not just the national media, but, um, and I'm going to use this example, uh, Sinclair broadcasting group. They yeah. have bought up like a gajillion local news stations around the country <laughs> and they're a more conservative organization. And so they'll, kind of sneak a lot of conservative messaging into what you would think is a local news story. And people, I mean, they may not trust the national news. I don't know if anyone does anymore, but local news people still trust. And now that's being violated. Um, I don't know if you've seen, there's a video on YouTube of like 50 different local news anchors around the country reading off the same exact script given to them by Sinclair about how they should stop trusting national news and start trusting their local news. Yeah. It's it's kind of horrifying. And I, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum, that should scare you. And so you have, uh, you have this situation where it's really difficult to get good information. I mean, when we research episodes, I kind of expect that we'll check up like, six sources on a given fact just to make sure we got it right. Um, unless it's like from a scientific paper where I can feel a little more, yeah. which yeah. a lot of them actually are. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's difficult and it's a little beyond my expertise for how to fix that. I <laughs> no, guess all cool. I can say to people who yeah. are very wealthy 
and that if money is a motivating factor for them is, I mean, sure that they have the money, they're not going to get hit badly by hurricanes or anything like that, but it will affect their business. It will affect, um, it's, it's going to find a way to affect them. Climate change finds its way into every little thing. And you think about if we have a future where we have these uh, situations like on the East Coast in the U.S. Uh, this year, we had um, Hurricane Ida and Hurricane Henry um, back to back in the Northeast. Ida, of course, hit Louisiana and somehow did not get stopped by all the buildings and land in between there and the Northeast, which is just ridiculous. That kind of thing happened. Um, The previous year, it was Hurricanes Laura and Delta down by Louisiana. They hit within a month of each other. These sorts of things didn't happen before, and it's going to get worse and worse. And you think about the cost that that has, not obviously on human lives, obviously on our property, on our health, but also money. So if you're motivated by money, you should be scrambling to fix climate change. And I do get the sense that a lot of wealthy people are concerned about this issue. Maybe they're not approaching it in the right way. And I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of parity there too. But um, certainly, um, I guess some of the more well-known, famous, outspoken, wealthy people care about it. And maybe some of the quieter folks don't as much. But um, I mean, we have to get there. If they don't see it now, they'll learn it the hard way. All right, let's talk about COVID and the environment. What? How has has you know has climate change uh, aided in the spread? I mean, because of, because of, let's be honest, things are warmer. They are, and and it keeps things. You know, if you have warm warm winters, you have mild winters, and and you have you know mild mild autumns, mild falls, then you're not going to kill these certain things, and and you know. What, do, do, what can you tell me about, you know, the environment's effect on COVID and COVID's effect on the environment, vice versa, you know, have since the quarantine have things gotten in or th- since the sort of lockdowns all sort of occurred, um, you know, for that time and still are here, um, have things changed in, in, you know, in the environment because of that? What's it, what's, what can you tell me about, COVID and its effects from the environment and effects on the environment. I'll do a environment on COVID quickly and then do the other one. So environment on COVID scientists are researching this and I'm not up to date enough to know exactly where we are. What I can say is it it's tough. We don't quite know we don't actually know for sure how the flu is transmitted. We think it's droplets, but scientists have not conclusively proved that because you can't watch the flu get transmitted to someone the way you could like an STD or some other thing where it's very obvious how it got transmitted. So if you think about like what happens with droplets, if it's less humid out, the water in the moisture that you exhale um, around the virus is gonna evaporate into the air and the virus particle will kind of float up there. Um, And so in the winter when it's less humid, you might breathe that in and 
uh, get the virus. Whereas in the more humid climate, uh, the water is going to just stay there. It's not going to dissipate because there's already plenty of moisture in the air. And so that particle is going to drop because it's heavier because um, the water stayed on it. So that's why um, scientists will theorize that's part of why um, these viruses like the flu or the coronavirus are worse in the winter than in the summer. Also just because um, you may be indoors more, so it's easier to transmit. So there's theories like that. But then at the same time, how do you explain that in tropical climates, we have flu year round? It's not that we have no flu or we have a winter flu. There's always flu and it can very often be worse. So maybe there's some curve where at low humidity, we have it. And then at a more medium humidity, it goes away. And then at a higher humidity, it comes back. But that gets confusing because that theory that I just said that a lot of scientists kind of think makes sense doesn't fit with that. It doesn't square away. And so we did an episode on the flu recently and we saw that climate change uh, could change it. It could make a region like Atlanta that's currently got a seasonal flu turn into some more tropical region that has a year round flu, which might mean more shots every year. That would suck. Obviously also a lot of uh, health issues, hospitalizations, deaths, all that. And you can kind of think about coronavirus in similar ways. They're different, but if they are transmitted the same way, we could have that. Yeah. Gotcha. Very smart. Yeah. Um, in terms of COVID on the environment, that's interesting. We, first off, there were stories of like uh, wilderness where there were animals that were not previously seen that now came out like bears in one of the national parks, that sort of <laughs> thing. Love, love those stories. Um, but I think the big headline that we were seeing, right, was our global emissions dropped by like 10, 15%, whatever that number was during COVID when we were all in lockdown. And everyone was so excited about that. And I was too, until one of the experts that came onto our podcast pointed out to me, that means that 80, 85% of them were still there when <laughs> nothing. How the hell did that happen? So you think about how much is just baked in. Um, that is kind of mind blowing. So certainly COVID had an effect. Certainly you can see like working from home and taking out commutes, like that kind of thing can um, certainly improve our emissions, but it's not a one-shot fix. And it means that we need to actually take action. We can't just uh, think that COVID solved climate or something like that. That's uh, that's uh, it's so crazy. You're right. 85% that means are there so where the how are they at where they're, they like you said they're baked in already to what's happened so there's nothing they've been again you know you're like it, it for when you hear that to understand that and then to just to get disappointed and sad and by the by hearing that you know I, it's to me i'm like jesus like so all right so here are my, my next question for you is is what is what are the biggest uh, things that that need to 
that are going to change, you know, that perhaps from doing the shows you're doing that perhaps, you know, we're not ready for that are going to come quicker than people think, because maybe we're not even thinking about these changes for through all the shows you're, that you've done, you know, what, what one sort of, what, what things are we going to have to deal with as society pretty quickly here that we're not, we didn't even think about, like we're, we're not even, we're not even there yet. It, it, whether it's even the, you know, the, 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 the plastic, the plastic straw issue, you know what I mean? But even more like maybe even more serious or more heavy on, on, on us, like be like, what, what do we have to do now? Like what, what changes are going to have to, uh, from, from those episodes you've done uh, quicker than others, maybe that we're not ready for. Well, don't worry about plastic straws. That's not <laughs> anywhere. That's there. just a hotbed with uh, somebody who's in the live studio with <laughs> us. And it's actually a great, funny hotbed because it is so like we're worried about plastic straws, you know, like that's that's the thing. Like people, when when the plastic straw thing happened to normal people, like all these arguments broke out over, you know, plastic paper, plastic paper is doing better. Yeah, paper is about plastic. You have no idea what plastic is doing. Paper, paper is doing. But for me, like, you know, maybe you heard me earlier in the show, but for me, it's a potato. Like, it's it's Mr. Potato Head and not being called Mr. Potato anymore. It's a potato. Like, these, just do it. And, like, it is helping whatever it's, it's doing, but, but, like, we don't have to worry about it. Just whatever it is, it is, you know. So I don't mean in that way. I mean, there's got to be more serious things than, than straws, right? Yeah, most of them are. Um, <laughs> so I guess in terms of, so you asked like, what might we not be noticing? So I'll answer that first. Yeah. Um, we did an episode on worker productivity recently, which I know is a bland title. It was the best we could come up with, but the topic was fascinating. And part of it was just these effects of climate change on our day-to-day health that we do not notice, but affect us and our income and our health. Uh, You have things like heat stress. You think about if it's a really hot day out, you're probably not going to be as productive that day. You're going to, especially if you're an outdoor worker, if you're on a farm or you're certainly, you're not going to be as productive. And some of these workers actually have uh, what they call peace rate, I believe, where, you're paid by your output, not by your hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can hit their paychecks. But even for anyone working indoors, that can certainly affect your uh, ability to get a promotion or a raise if you're not as productive. Um, you can do the same sort of thing with uh, some air pollutants, like uh, particulate matter is a type of air pollutant that um, has these sort of day-to-day effects where excuse me, Um, you might not be sick enough where you decide to stay home, but you'll have a scratchy throat or a little bit of a runny nose and that kind of thing might affect your day-to-day productivity. So there's those sorts of things which I found really eye-opening and interesting that we're not going to notice, but it's just affecting us in these little ways that could certainly, you could see that kind of thing add up. Um, In terms of the big, big issues there was actually some research that was published this month. Um, I don't even know if it's published yet. It was presented at the uh, American Geophysical Union's conference or whatever. Um, Basically, there's this 
glacier in Antarctica um, called the Thwaites Glacier it is landlocked, so it's not like sunk in the ocean or anything. And there's this giant ice shelf that's holding this thing back. This glacier is the size of Florida um, and the size of uh, Britain. So for folks over there, um, this ice shelf is holding it back from the ocean. And scientists have just discovered that there are cracks in the ice shelf and that the ice shelf will collapse in about five years. So what that means, the ice shelf collapses. Ice shelf is already in the water. So that's whatever. Who cares if it's a bunch of tiny icebergs or a giant shelf? But the glacier then has a free shot into the water. Um, so you're basically dropping an ice cube the size of Florida into the ocean. Think about the sea level rise that happens from that. That's a couple feet across the planet that the sea levels would go up. And then there's all these glaciers behind the Thwaites Glacier that then they would have a clear shot into the ocean. So over the next century, that could be on the scale of like five to 10 feet. And for context, <laughs> that's, I was reading an article from like 2020 that was kind of explaining uh, like sea level rise 101. And it was saying that we could expect to see sea level rise from I think it was like in the two, five, six feet. Like it was a small number of feet. And it had this kind of sidebar where it was like, there's also a little bit of research going on in, in Antarctica. And maybe if a giant glacier fell in, that could be affected. But that's like a really far-fetched, beyond worst case scenario kind of thing. And that was like 2020. And that was just this like sidebar. And now we've seen that's exactly what's happening right now. And people are like, oh, how do we stop that? Nope, <laughs> that, that's happening. So that, that freaked me out. And we're, I'm doing a little thing on that uh, that'll come out December 31st where I kind of break that down and try to, um, try to put a slightly optimistic spin on it. How do you put an optimistic spin on that? This is happening in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, really all I can say is I go back to the, we're not stopping climate change. And this is what really solidified that in my head, seeing this story is climate change is happening, whether we like it or not. And what we need to focus on is not how to stop it, but how to control it and try to preserve as normal a future as we possibly can. And we, we still can do that. We can do that if, if sea levels rise by that much, we're, we're losing chunks of cities. Um, certainly island nations are really, really going to be hit hard. And they're, they're the fiercest warriors on the international stage fighting for climate because it affects them so, so much. But we, we aren't going extinct. We're not like <laughs> the human population is not dying off. There's no, but don't, somewhere in the middle here where we can. But live if you currently, but if you currently own, uh, if you currently own a, a nice uh, seaside property here in Ireland, invest in oyster, <laughs> invest in oyster farming, and and move and move your house a little bit inland. Buy a property like. <laughs> 
three blocks inland and that'll Jeez. be your seaside property. <laughs> my, 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 uh, one of my, one of my fellow podcast, our fellow podcasters, Goldie from the uh, midnight in Baghdad podcast, put up a question in the live audience actually to, to go along with your, your humor take and ask, uh, can we all just leave our freezer doors open for a few days a year? Like we all do it at the same time globally. That should sort it. <laughs> Well, I hate to break it to you, but refrigerants are one of the worst uh, greenhouse gases. They're on the scale of hundreds to thousands times more potent than carbon dioxide. And so uh, actually that's a big uh, topic is how do we, we need more air conditioning in a world with worse climate. I mean, we had in oh, yeah, that's West, crazy. Were, we're gonna need to keep cooler, but the stuff that's keeping us cooler is making yeah, it worse and making it hotter. 120 degree days in Portland and Oregon and uh, Canada. Even I have relatives in British Columbia, uh, Canada, who were having like record heat this summer, and they don't have air conditioning there, and so you need to start installing air conditioning in all these places, but then how like that's got a big climate impact of its own. So those are some of the challenges that we really have to think through and figure out how do we cool our homes without um, actually worsening the problem even more. It's uh, a, <laughs> it's, it's, crazy you're literally like i said it's uh, it's mind-boggling to think about you know yet another thing that probably i mean some people thought about it. people are thinking about it yeah but you know we're not thinking about it you know i never thought about that until you just said it we're, we're going to need more air conditioning but the refrigerants that go into air conditioning are just going to make it hotter so it's just going to get worse and worse and worse it's it's uh, until we come up with a solution it's even more. <laughs> so so before I let you go, and I super appreciate you, you coming on and uh, you know talking with me for an hour, shooting the shit for the last hour, man. I totally appreciate this, and and love to have you back on the show. Uh, another anytime, anytime you want, man. We can talk about stuff. You, we, you can use this as your as a ventilation podcast if you want, Ethan. And, and you got some you you want to vent on something where you need to be a little bit uh, less. Uh, uh, down the middle of the aisle, you're welcome to to stop on the Hit the Lotto podcast anytime and do that, pal. I I, I completely 100% mean that for you. Um, but I need to know, like, all right, so what what what's going to happen to my coffee? Like, wh- I, like, like I love my Kenyan double A coffee, and uh, and I love it because it has this beautiful pecan flavor with this hint of honey, and I. I perfectly use the perfect temperature water in my maca pot to make it and i beautifully stir now i use oat milk because it tastes like a little bit like cheerios in my coffee too uh what what, what am i what's going to happen to my coffee what's going on with it well thanks so much for having me and i i mean i'm being honest with you like i really do feel like i'm that middle of the aisle per, like i I'm venting about stuff and I do that regularly, but it really <laughs> coming from a super political place. It's more just why aren't people thinking more critically about X, Y, Z or Yeah, I think you're right. It's commonsensical, really. Criti- yeah, it's critical I, thinking. So you're right. I agree with you. I, I want to be on the same page about the facts. And I, I honestly can't even pay too close attention to politics because 
I, I just want to get that right first. Um, yeah, I will come back anytime. I really enjoyed this conversation. About the coffee, what's happening is coffee is a very picky plant. So it likes very heavy rains, but temperatures that, I forget the exact temperatures, but they're kind of more moderate. I think it was around like 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so basically where are you going to get tropical rains with that kind of temperature? It's basically in the mountains of the tropics. So we have a lot of countries grow coffee, which that's a good thing. Um, there's a very competitive global market for it, but it's really just in the mountains of these tropical regions. And so when you see, temperatures go up, basically the coffee that only has like this two degree window of where it's going to grow and come out well, you need to say, okay, this coffee needs to be about 300 feet north or not north, but 300 feet up um, from where it was. <laughs> and that's just not like, you can't move your coffee plantation like that. So that's a challenge. Um, it's a very fixable one though. If you can get uh, shade trees, which just grow trees that go over top of the coffee um, and coffee does very well in that kind of diverse environment of multiple plants, then you can keep it a little cooler for the coffee to grow well. Um, there's other strategies like that that you can do. So certainly this is a fixable thing. What makes it challenging is the economic situation where coffee is this global commodity market. It's traded in the same way that like crude oil is traded, where there's a bunch of hedge funds doing these futures contracts where they'll mm -hmm. buy up a bunch of coffee and sell a bunch of coffee and do all this wacky financial stuff that we get into more in the episode. And you think about a farmer trying to compete with that, they they can't do like, they're not going to have the time to learn how to do that. So they sell their coffee to middlemen who can do that. Um, and they have to sell it at a much cheaper price because of that. Mm -hmm. So the farmers are not making enough money for what they got to do. So they have to turn to some more desperate measures to grow more coffee, to make more money. And to do that, they'll turn to deforestation. They'll turn to child labor and it's, it's a problem. So mm -hmm. I think there's got to be some attention put on the economic side. I tend to like these markets with the futures contracts because it can work out advantageously for the farmers if the farmers know how to compete in there and can actually, um, I mean, who's going to know how well the coffee crop is going to perform more than the farmers? They're right there. So I, yeah. I think they could do well if they had the education and the knowledge to compete there. But since that's not the case, and I don't know if that's the quickest fix, um, I don't know. There may have to be some other type of economic change. But either way, there could be a way to get this where you can fix the climate if the farmers have the money to do it, and you can get them the money if you tweak the economic part. So coffee isn't going anywhere. We just have to fix this problem. The Sweaty Penguin podcast, when does it come out? What day of the week do you, do you generally drop on? What, talk, talk, just give yourselves as, as much plug as you want right now, sir. 
Oh, we've got episodes every Friday. You can get them on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, not Podbean, though, I don't think. I, this is my first exposure to Podbean, and this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we're also on the sweatypenguin.com. We're on uh, pbs.org slash Promise, which is our uh, PBS partner. Um, and then you can follow us on social media anywhere, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Also, if you want to, uh, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash the sweaty penguin. If you go there, we've got a whole bunch of merch, bonus content, early releases. Uh, we're working on a signed book raffle where once we hit 25 patrons, we'll have experts uh, who have already donated signed copies of their books. Uh, we'll raffle them off to you. So if you're in those first 25, you're, there's a good shot you'll get a free book as well. Um, awesome. All different places to find us, and uh, we hope you check us out. Thank you so awesome, much. Awesome, folks. Come on, folks. Get into Patreon. Kick some merch. Buy a hat. Sweaty Penguin. It's a great logo. You'll love it. Ethan Brown, thanks so much once again for coming on the show. This has been Romo. Hit the Lotto podcast number 29. Shit. God damn. I can't believe that uh, we did almost 30 of these freaking things. It's 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 amazing. The, the, the theme song is by my buddy Joe and Pat Fangs. The artwork is by Pochi. My name is Romo. Love you all. Like, thanks so much for, for listening in to this old guy talk some shit again. We'll talk to you again soon. See ya, peace. Hit the lotto. Why? $3,000 gonna buy back in, bitch, I hope I win. Why? $3,000. So gotta hit the lotto. Hit the lotto. Hit the lotto. Hit the lotto.